0: Good to have Evan in the house, amen, all the way from Chicago. Praise the Lord. Praise God. When Anna Sorkin's attorney stood before a jury of her peers in Manhattan, New York, to give his closing argument as to why His client should not serve time in prison. He said to the jury and to the judge and those gathered, she was just faking it until she made it. She was just trying to fake it until she made it. Anna intended to pay every single cent that she stole and lied, to receive from her friends, banks, airlines, hotel chains, once she finally once she finally made it. It was what Anna Sorkins did to climb the ladder of prominence and financial success that placed her in front of a jury of her peers. She pretended to be a star where she had not been called. She called herself Anna Delves. That sounded pretty prestige, prestigious. She led people to believe that she was a wealthy German heiress. While, in reality, she was living in New York on a temporary work visa, Anna longed to be named among New York's higher echelon of society. She was willing to do whatever it took to become a star in the eyes of those that she deemed significant. She created a false identity for herself. For years, she played the part and she looked the part. She wore the latest designer clothes, moving from one luxurious hotel to the next, always promising to pay. And they believing her because she looked like she was on her way to some place that was bigger and more prominent based on how she portrayed herself. Establishments believed that Anna Dervé was someday going to be somebody, and therefore they would get their pay. Uh, She was a great tipper, sometimes leaving as much as some of us do, $100, imaginary. She was generous to her friends. She would often invite her friends to expensive meals and high-cost vacations. One time, she rented a private plane and charged up sixty thousand dollars for a vacation she never paid for. In fact: Anna Sorensen, or Anna uh, Anna, ended up by the time. She was taken into custody and found out she owed some $275,000 to her friends and rich, unsuspecting supporters. She was convicted of bilking hotels, restaurants, and banks and a private jet operator for over $200,000. And on this May the 9th, this coming May, May 9th, Anna will be sentenced to as much as. 15 years in prison, and ultimately deported from America back to Germany. Now, according to our judicial system, Anna's crime that will possibly land her in jail is fraud, impersonating uh, someone that she really wasn't in order to take advantage of unsuspecting wealthy donors and friends. But if she was given an indictment from heaven, if God were to say what her crime was, I believe that he would charge her with the crime of failing to be a star where he had called her to flourish. When we decide to try to be something that God didn't call us to be, you will never, never be. A true star, you will never truly be successful. Unfortunately, we live in a time and a day where people want to be significant. We want to be important. We want our 15 minutes of fame. That's why we spend so much time uh, on Facebook, Instagram, with our phones, sometimes as much as four hours a day. We want people to know that we are important. We want people to take time to take note of us. And so we will do just about anything to gain notoriety. But I find in the Word of God that we are warned to avoid measuring ourselves by man-made standards. Don't measure yourself by others. Paul puts it this way, he says, we do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves, some brag on themselves. When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. We, however, will not boast beyond proper limits, but will confine our boasting to the sphere of service God himself has assigned to us a sphere that also includes you. And so there is a point where you should acknowledge what God has allowed you to do through his power. There's nothing wrong with taking a bow for being an instrument in the hand of God. Paul says, we will not boast beyond the sphere of our assignment. We were stars in the place where God called us. We served with excellence where God called us. But we are not basing that excellence on comparing what God called us to do with what he called somebody else to do. Again, the apostle Paul writes, I am not, not, I am not now trying to win the approval of human beings, or am I trying to win the approval of human beings, or God, or am I trying to please people? If, if I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. You cannot become everything that God wants you to be if you're living your life out of the standards and the uh, the requirements that you think others expect of you. Paul says, I'm not living to please people. Wherever God has planted you, you must grow. And where you are planted, you will flourish because God has prepared that soil specifically for you. I want to share with you today three things that you need to know, that you need to understand in order for you to be a star, in order for you to flourish, in order for you to have genuine contentment in order for you not to look in the mirror, and every time you walk away, you forget how you look. And then you're questioning your value based on how people respond to your, to your selfie or your, you know, that, that enhanced face shot that you've altered a hundred times, where you can make your eyes larger, ears smaller, et cetera. I would like to say that that is an issue that teenagers struggle with, but it is not age limited. And it is not gender-based. Men are struggling just as much as women with trying to stay, quote-unquote, significant, to be important. Now, the three things that I want to share with you are found in the verses before us in Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 through 19. The Bible says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, and to another two, and to another one, to each according to his own abilities. And immediately he went on a journey. Then he who had received the five talents went and he traded them and made another five talents. And likewise, the one who received the two grains took uh, the one who, who received the two talents Added two more, but he who received the one went and dug in the ground, and he hid the Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came, and he settled his accounts with them. After a long time, the Lord came, and he settled his accounts. The first thing that you need to understand is your ability to accomplish God's assignment is a gift that you receive. It's a gift that you receive on the hands of the Lord. What you have been placed on this planet to do, it has been gifted to you. The moment that God conceived you in his mind in eternity past, a part of that plan in the mind of God included a call, a specific call on your life and you, and it is a gift. It is a gift that a gift is something that is unmerited. It is undeserved. It is given to you, from the hand of God. Somebody say amen. I mean, I'm going to teach you today. This is very important because God says, my, lamp, my, light, my word is a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. He said, I'll instruct you and guide you in the way that you should go. The way that God wants us to go, he has illuminated through the scriptures. It's in the word of God. But if we do not follow what God has laid clearly before us in the word, we're going to find ourselves straying from the path of God, and we will never accomplish what he has called us to do. You will never be a star where God has planted you. Notice the scripture says the kingdom of God is is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servant, say his own servant. And so the first thing that we need to understand is that God selected you. He picked you. He appointed you. You have been chosen by God for the assignment, for the task that he has predetermined for you to accomplish. Just like the prophet of old, Jeremiah, who reluctantly responded when the Lord said, I am calling you, I have selected you, I have ordained and appointed you. And he responds, I'm just a child, I can't speak. And the Lord responds and and, and gets clarity. He says, before I formed you in your mother's womb, I knew you. Before there was even a you, before you were twinkling your dad's eye, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you as a prophet over the nation. And so he says that bef- I had a plan for you, an assignment for you in my mind, before I even brought it into existence to set you apart. Now, he didn't set all of us apart to be a prophet over a nation but he has set each one of us apart for some specific thing that we're gonna talk more about. You may be a wife with small children, a single mother, a single man. You may be a senior or a teenager, a millennial, working a nine to five. The truth that you need to gather today is that God knew exactly where you would be today, and he specifically designed a, a, a place for you in the, in the vineyard called the world, and he gave for you an assignment even before you came into a place, a place in your trust in the finished work of Christ. Somebody say amen. Not only does God call us, but he gives us the capabilities of doing what he has called us to do. He says he, he delivered his goods to them according to their abilities. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, the Bible says, We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You are created by God. We are, the Bible says we are God's masterpieces, and he created us specifically to do a work, and that work that he prepared for us, he has given us the capability to do it. Whatever God has placed you in this world to do, he has already given you the capacity to do it. You have the ability to do it. And then he gives clarity. He says to, uh, to his servants, there are three sets of servants. There's the, the servant who has a five, the servant who has a two, the servant who has one. He, depart, he announces his departure. He's like the, he, he, the Bible says he's like the man traveling to a far country. We learn in John chapter 14, verses 1 through 3, Jesus says, Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. And my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would told you. And he says, I go to prepare. Jesus is the man that is traveling to that foreign, distant country. In John chapter 16, Jesus says, But now I go away. I go away to him who sent me, and and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow fills your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And so the Lord says, I'm going away. And we remember in Acts chapter 1, verses 8 through 10, the Bible says, as Jesus, after teaching the disciples for 40 days and 40 nights, he stood on the mountain of Olive and he ascended into the heavens. And the angels said, why are you standing here staring? The same Jesus who was ascending, going away, he will return again. And so he announced his departure. And the same announcement that was made some 2,000 years ago is relevant today because the same Jesus who saved us when he rose from the dead and we placed our trust in him, he is still away in heaven in the place he has prepared for us. But he also gave a definite promise that he's going to return, but he doesn't give a specific date. In Matthew 25, verse 31, the scripture says, watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour which the Son of Man is coming. Uh, Everyone will, uh, everything that we do. So this Jesus, our Savior, said, I'm going away. I'm coming back. But you don't know the date. And so you need to be ever ready. You need to be about, as you are waiting for me to return, as you are watching for the signs of the time and waiting for my return You need to be working, working while it is day, completing the assignment that I gave you because the night is coming when no man can work. But every one of us, as we are watching and we're waiting for his return, the scripture says each one of us will stand before Almighty God and we will give an account for the things that we've done. Jesus added in John chapter 9, When the disciples asked the question about a man who had been born blind, the question was, why was this man born blind? Was it because of the sins of his father or mother? And Jesus says, neither this man's father or mother has sinned, but that the works of God may be manifested in him and then he says, let me explain to you about this work that I'm doing, not to draw a big crowd, not to have people pat me on the back, not to, be, uh, uh, not to be seen. But he says, I must do the works of him who sent me while it is day, while he's away, for the night is coming. There's coming a day when it will be night in our lives. There's coming a day because it is appointed unto man. We, we, we know this. Where it wants to die, but after this is the judgment, there's coming a day when it's Jesus who's coming back, will judge us based on our, our obedience to your assignment. Do you know your assignment? Are you about your father's business? Is that the priority of your life? He also, not only does he give a definitive statement that he's returning and a pronouncement that he was leaving. But he also gives duties for each servant. He says to them in in Luke chapter 19, which is a continuation of this parable, or a parallel parable that has the same concept, he says, do my business until I return. Occupy until I come. And so while you're waiting and watching, you ought to be working. That's what he's saying, do my business. When the Lord says, do my business, the business of the Lord, the Bible says, Jesus, I did not come to be served, but I've come to seek and to serve. And our job as believers is to finish what Jesus started, to finish what Jesus started. In John chapter 15, verse 16, the word of God says, you did not choose me, Jesus speaking, but I chose you, I appointed you, I selected and ordained you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. The fruits of righteousness is when I am operating in obedience to the word of God, primarily to worship him and to be obedient to him through reaching those who don't know Jesus. The Bible says that that will will cause me to bear fruit. And the kind of fruit that he wants is not just to see people come into the kingdom, but he wants fruit that remains. He wants us to be those who are discipling the ones that are coming in, fruit that remains. And here he, he adds, that whatever you ask, the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Now, notice the condition, the, prom, the, the command is that I chose, you didn't choose me. I chose you for a specific reason, to bear fruit and fruit that remains. And if you are obedient, the, the promise is you can ask anything in my name according to my will and God will do it. Don't waste your time asking if you are not producing fruit, if you're not fulfilling your divine assignment. There ought to be something about your relationship with the Lord that burns in your heart. There ought to be a passion about the things of God. When Jesus was asked the question, what what is the greatest commandment? The first response was to love God with all of your heart, to love God with passion, to love God so much that you would do anything to please Him, to love God so much with all your mind and your heart and your strength that you are breaking a sweat for Him, that you will leave this earth, having done your assignment, totally exhausted from serving Him. There ought to be things that wake you up at night. There ought to be things in your life that bring tears to your eyes, that bring tears to the eyes of God. There ought to be things that caused you to recognize that throughout a day or an experience that there were opportunities for you to tell somebody about Christ or to model Jesus before them, but you did not, and there's nothing that would have said to them that you are a child of the king. And so he gives them their specific duties. Do my business. I want you to understand that doing the business of the Lord is not an option. It's not to impress somebody. It's not to get a grade. It's not to get a a temporary transient reward. But when you are doing the business of the Lord, you're operating in obedience to him. And your heavenly father who sees in secret your motives, he will reward you openly. If you don't serve because the Lord has told you and you're responding in obedience, as soon as somebody says something that you don't agree with, you're going to quit. You're going to get right in your flesh. And one of the ways that you know that the Lord didn't tell you to do it is that you respond in your flesh. Yes. And even sometimes when we slip and we say things out of, uh, out of hurt, being human, by the time you re- reevaluate why was I doing this in the first place, and you, and you understand that it's for Jesus, then you can respond in a different way. As unto the Lord, as unto the Lord, I, did, I chose you. God doesn't need any of us, none of us. He's not impressed. Unfortunately, we think that he is. But the blessing is when we recognize that we don't deserve it, but because of his mercy and his grace and his long-suffering towards us, when we get a clearer glimpse of our own sin and and really how much we deserve divine judgment, like Jeremiah said, if it had not been for your mercy, I would be consumed. Great is your faithfulness. We're not faithful. God is. And every single morning, his mercies are extended towards us. Without that mercy, we would not have breath to breathe in our bodies because we deserve divine condemnation. But thanks be to God that in Christ, through faith and what he accomplished, we no longer stand condemned. We are forgiven through him. Now, how you respond to your assignment reveals who your true master is. Everybody has a master. And Jesus said it like this. He says, why do you call me master? Why do you call me Lord? Why do you call me curios? And you do not do what I say. The way to understand who the Lord is to you as as it relates to the assignment that he has commanded you to do will be evidenced through your obedience to the command. You are, the question, who who is your Lord? Who who really is your Lord? And, And that will be revealed through your lifestyle. The way you live, your priorities are going to be seen do the things that you do on a regular basis. For some people, their priority is to get a husband. Some want to get a wife. You want to come to church and get your godly wife. Uh, for some men, their priority, and they won't say it, but they want to sleep with every woman that will be available to them. They want to have sex with every woman that will allow them to. That's their, that's their priority. How do you know? Because that's how they live. And it used to be that it was only the brothers. <laughs> brothers don't have to chase anymore. Your phone will ring at 3 in the morning. Your phone will ring at, you'll you, you, you get, you get, you get hit up. And it's just a matter of if you're available. And it has, love has nothing to do with it. Uh, it, it is your desire to, uh, uh, to, 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 to impress people, to have power, to be a person that is viewed. As being prominent. Is that, your, is that your master? What are you living for? Are you living for the next job? Are you living for that bigger house? What is your primary objective for living? That will reveal how you view the assignment that God has given you. What is your priority? Think about that. What really motivates you on a daily basis? How you serve will reveal the value of the assignment. The Bible says whatever you treasure, wherever your treasure is, that's where, that is where your heart will be. Some of us have a clear understanding or have some degree of understanding of the call of God on our life, but we don't value it because what God has called you to do doesn't seem to have the same prominence that someone else has. And so we treat it like it's not of value. And so the, so the, the, the issue becomes, if the, if the call is a gift from God, how could it be less valuable because it's different from someone else's call? And the, somebody gives, do you ever give somebody something that was really important to you, and the next time you see it, it's on the ground, <laughs> it's all scratched up, First car I ever owned, my stepfather gave it to me. And he kept that thing immaculate. It was clean all the time. He, he, he maintenance it. And, man, I got that car. I ran it into the ground. The only thing I was concerned about, I didn't know. He, he gave me the car, but he didn't tell me how to maintain the car or to clean the car. I jump in the car and I drive. And when it didn't work, it didn't drive. And I remember the car sat in the driveway for three weeks because it didn't have water in the battery. All I had to do was when I found out I didn't need a water bag, put water bag, I just took off and drove. And I learned that sometimes when you give people things that they didn't have to earn, they don't have the same amount of appreciation. And don't we do God like that? He has gifted us with life. He gave us talents. He's given you the temple. And instead of taking care of our temple, instead of using the time and the talents, And the treasures that He's given us, in the manner in which we treat it, like it is of no importance. The way you treat the assignment makes it very clear how you value the giver. It's a reflection on what you think of God. The Bible says that every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of lights. Who in Him there is no varying, there's no changing. Every gift that God gives, it is pure. There's no, there's nothing diminished in it. There's no flaw. But if you if you don't view it as significant, it doesn't make it any less. It simply means that your perspective of God's gifts is distorted. Somebody say Amen. amen. When I lived in uh, Niagara Falls, we used to have. Um, uh, we I drove an expedition, had the three-seater. It's a big old truck. Four, four kids growing up, and it snowed a lot there. So you needed that kind of vehicle. And uh, another uh, minister, pastor, very prominent pastor, that he drove an Escalade, a big vehicle, uh, same size basically as the Expedition. And uh, I remember we were having a conversation, and he was telling me how much his Escalade cost. It was much more expensive than the Ford uh, Expedition I drove. And then uh, it was really interesting uh, because one day he he allowed me to uh, be in the vehicle with him and. He's an Escalade, and I'm in there with him, and we're driving. And every bump we hit, it's like we're going, through the, going to the bottom of the air. Boom! Da, boom, da, boom. So wait a minute. This is a, you assume that because of the name of the vehicle and the cost of the vehicle, and then he went on to say, he said, uh, Pastor Benson, I don't know if you knew this. He said that the Escalade and the Explorer have the same GM, the GMC motor. So on the outside, they look like total different vehicles. But what's under the hood, the same thing is under the hood that gets the car to ride. I want you to understand, you may look a little more shiny than me. You may even appear more impressive to me. But under the hood, under the hood, we have the same Holy Spirit, the same comforter, the same one that Jesus said, I'm going to send," And he will enable you to not only know the truth, but to obey the truth so that you can complete the assignment. The problem is we need to keep the, the, keep the vehicle, keep the, the temple oiled up. We need to stay in the Word of God and obey the Word of God so that we can accomplish what we have the capability. The assignment comes from God. It's a gift. You have an invaluable gift from God to serve him in the world, which means that you have access to supernatural power. You have the ability through the words that you speak and the acts that you do to perform in the power of the hand of God miracles. But how do you view your assignment? Here's the second thing. The assignment given by God to a servant are different. We don't all have the same assignment. The Bible, the the, the Scripture talks about the the, the diversities of gifts. The gifts are different for each assignment. To one he gave five, to another he gave two, and to another he gave one. But the interesting thing about this, even though the gifts were different, each person had the ability to fulfill their potential. You can't out can't outserve me. I may only have one talent and you have five, but you can't outserve me because all God requires of me is that a steward be found faithful. Amen. And so you have the same ability, though our, our gifts are different, to fulfill your potential. Now, why are our abilities different? Why didn't God make us all the same? I'm never, it's never a compliment if you tell a man and his wife, you guys, the longer you're together, the more you look like each other. Don't tell me I look like my wife. My wife said, your skin is softer than mine. No, it ain't. My skin ain't softer than yours. What you talking about, my skin? I, I start flexing. No, there ought to be some difference between a husband and a wife. Now, there's nothing wrong that when a man shows up and his wife's not there, you automatically think about the two because they're that close. But they shouldn't be that close because they look like twins. (laughs) So the reason our abilities are different is God wants his purposes to be completed, to be fulfilled. The scripture says, do my business. Make me the priority. We say this verse all the time, but seek ye first the kingdom of God, whose righteousness and his righteousness. Make God the priority. And so the the reason our gifts are different is because God wants his purposes to be fulfilled in your life, that you individually will do his business. Wives, when you submit to your own husband as unto the Lord, you are doing the Lord's business. I say to women all the time, if you cannot voluntarily come under the authority of your husband, don't get married because he will be miserable and so will you. And if you have a man that doesn't lead, you don't want to marry him because you were created to follow your leader, your husband. That's the way God designed you to be your husband's helper in the context of marriage. That's the word of God. As unto the Lord, not because he's smarter, not because he's bigger, not because he makes the most money. There's a real good chance, baby, that you're going to be making the money. And God bless you, and hallelujah, for any woman that makes more money, praise God. <laughs> hallelujah. But be certain that that's not why he's, why he's marrying you. Amen. That's right. Husbands, the Bible says, love your wife as Christ loved the church. How does he love the church? Unconditionally, sacrificially. That's God's purpose, that we would would be obedient as unto him. Children, obey your parents as unto the Lord. Amen. As unto the Lord. And the truth is, when we fulfill the purposes of God based on the assignment that he has given us, that we will be blessed. Blessed in the morning, blessed, in the, blessed when we go in, and blessed when we come out. God blesses obedience. Why are our abilities different? For God's purpose, for God's plan, each according to his ability, each one according to his ability. In, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it talks about uh, God's overall plan for the body. Not all the body is an eye, an ear, or a toe, but each part of the body, God has a not only is spe- the specific plan is for, edit- for the body to be built up, but there's a plan that that's how you do it. The purpose is why you do it. The, the feet will help, the, help the, your, your, the toe will help the foot operate properly. So by, uh, and so he talks about, by now indeed there are many, he says, but, but, but now indeed there are many members, yet one body, one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I, am, I have no need of you. Nor again can the head say to the feet, I have no need of you, that there, were, that there should be no division in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. And so God has a plan for you. If you're not functioning right, the purpose of the church will not be accomplished. If you, God didn't save you to sit. God didn't save you to the church. He, didn't, he called us to be fishers of men, not keepers of the aquarium. He called you to, you've been saved to serve. And so when you are serving, if a part of your body isn't working properly, which that's what they call atrophy. And often atrophy is caused by paralysis, like when you had a stroke. You don't just leave a stroke part of your body unattended. You go and work out, you go to therapy, you take medication, because you know that if your body, every member works properly, you're going to be able to be more effective. Am I right about it? The same thing is true in the church. There shouldn't be anybody in the church that is not serving. And I'm not talking about in the context of this building. You ought to be a star at home. You ought to be a star wife. Your husband ought to be able to say that you are a woman of a great price. You are a woman of excellence. Your your wife should be able to say that. He is successful at work, but he's even more successful as a father, as a man, as a Christian in my home. Are you a star at home? Are you a star in the context of your work? Do people see Jesus? It's one thing to say the message, but have you become the message? Fulfill the plan, fulfill God's purpose. That's why our gifts are different. But it's also for his pleasure. It pleases God. It's nothing like having a child. You tell them what to do and they do it. That blesses a parent's heart. Again, I'll say it's required of a servant to be found or a steward to be found faithful. A steward on the plane, even though they may have the badge that says United Airlines, they don't, they don't own the plane. They simply manage the resource that belongs to the company that has purchased the plane. Coffee to your milk. <laughs> can, I get, can, I get a, can I get some soda for you? We are stewards who are managing the resources of God to accomplish the assignment that he has given to us. And when we do so, he is well pleased. One of my most least favorite experiences is moving. Evan just experienced this moving from uh, Delaware or Maryland to Chicago. You got to get some plastic bags. (laughs) And all plastic bags are not the same. Amen? Learn this the hard way. There's some 33-gallon plastic bag, one ply. dollar store. (laughs) And then there's some 55-gallon three four ply industrial size plastic bags. Now both bags are for trash. Both bags are made of plastic but they are not intended for the same purpose. If you try to put 55 gallons of debris into a 33-gallon of one-ply plastic, guess what you got? A mess. You're going to be picking up a lot of trash. Now, if you take 33 uh, gallons of trash and put it in a uh, 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 55-ply trash bag, you're going to have a lot of waste. And so what you need to decide and understand, what ply am I? God is not going to expect you to produce 55 gallons of nothing if he only gave you 35 or 33 gallons to produce. He only expects from you what he has enabled you to do. And when I'm doing what he expects, he will be well pleased. He will be well pleased. Are you pleased to please him? Is that enough for you? Here's the third thing. Assignments will be evaluated and rewarded. The Bible says after a long time, the master who had traveled, Jesus who had gone away, he returns, and he begins to evaluate his books, and he calls each servant in individually. Each one of us will stand before Almighty God either at the, the great white judge, uh, judge, throne of judgment or the beam of seat for our rewards. In this case, the first two are standing before Christ. And God is, Jesus is evaluating, and, 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 the, and the first servant is so glad that he pleased the Lord. Will you be glad when the Lord returns? Will he come and find you with your work undone? He didn't know that the Lord was going to return, but when the Lord returned, the work was done. And he said, Lord, you gave me five, and I took what you gave me, and I reached my full potential. Nothing that you gave me was lost. I'm carrying none of the gifts, none of the talents, none of your treasure to the grave with me. And the Lord says, well done, thy good and faithful servant. And here's the blessing he says, you have been faithful over a few. A few was five for him. I will make you ruler over much. And so the first um, person who reaches his full potential, the Lord, he, he, gets, he gets paid. He gets rewarded. Somebody say rewarded. We're maximizing his gift. The second comes and he says the same thing. I had two. I multiplied it into four. I reached my full potential. Guess what? Same reward. Uh, uh, well done a good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over few. The Lord is not going to elevate you to more if you haven't been faithful of what you got. Lord, if you give me another house, give me a better car, give me, no, 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 you don't need a better car, better job. You don't need a, another, a better body. You need to take care of the body that you have. He who is faithful over little. Lord, if I had more money, I'd tithe. No, you wouldn't. You'd be stingy just like you are now. Then the final servant came. There was a, uh, a, there was a different reward. There wasn't the promise of pay of elevation. There was a promise of punishment for procrastinating, for getting around to it. Never, he said, Lord, I knew that you are a hard master, reaping where you have not sown. And I was afraid, and so here's what I did. I made sure that when you returned that you would not be disappointed with me. I took the treasure, the talent, the gifts that you've given me. I came to church every Sunday. and Sometimes I even sung and Sometimes I even stayed a little late. But it, the, re, the reality is I didn't break a sweat because what you gave me to work with, I buried it. Sometimes the way we bury it by giving all of our attention to our secular job. We bury it by giving all of our attention, not as God being the priority, but we make our sons and our daughters the priority. That's how you can bury the talents of the Lord. Now, I want you to check out why we are guilty of failing to do the assignment. This this wicked servant, the Lord, refers to him as... Here, let me share why why he fell. First of all, there was a lack of accountability. If you bury your talent, you'll never have to interact with anybody. God didn't give you your gift to hide it. And so the scripture says, iron sharp enough. You will never become everything that you can be if you're not connected to the body of Christ. If somebody is not challenging you, the scripture says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. If you are not involved in somebody with somebody who can tell you when you're wrong, tell you where you need to grow, pray with you when you're hurting, confessing your sins one to another, you will never, you will be like this unfaithful servant. Your talents will be buried. They will never be realized. And so the lack of accountability. People start uh, challenging uh, millennials today. First thing they say, don't judge me. Don't judge me. You don't understand. You've never been young. Yes, I have. And guess what? I said the same thing you are saying. You need to be accountable, not to somebody who's practicing sin like you, but somebody who can challenge you to live for God and to accomplish his will for your life. This wicked servant was unaccountable. He also lacked anticipation. For the imminent return of the Lord. When's the last time you actually thought that Jesus could come back today? Before you took that drink. Before you said those words. Before you pulled those sheets down. Before you cussed him or her out. The Lord says, be ever ready for such a time you think not. He did not anticipate that this could be the day that I breathe my last. I remember preaching a sermon. It was a long sermon. I was a new preacher. I must have preached for two hours. Lord Jesus. I felt sorry for the people after I got done. I told them everything I ever learned in seminary on on two verses, I think it was. Oh, man, I punished them. I did. And maybe this is what happened. The guy walked out of the church door and got hit by a car. I'm not saying I, I was in some way responsible for that, but my point is this. If you aren't anticipating the come returning of the Lord, you're not going to be prepared when he comes. Your work will be undone. Here's another reason. Lack of appreciation for the Simon. He devalued what Lord, the Lord called him to do. How do you know what you value? You get up early to do it. Nobody, you don't, nobody has to wake you up. Nobody has to give you no alarm clock. When you're getting ready to go see Beyonce or some of these other programs, you got to come up with the money for it, what you appreciate, you will pay for. You won't go to sleep. I remember when I had to take exams, I stayed up all night. I wasn't going, I I was going to study everything I could because I was working to get an A. I didn't want a B, I wanted an A. And so what you value, I'll tell you how much, how you feel about this church by how you come. Hey, God! Kind of quiet up in here. Praise Jesus! Hallelujah! God bless you. And here's 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 the most the serious issue for why he failed to complete his assignment, didn't start where God called him. The lack of accurate knowledge. He said, "I know you are the kind." He didn't know the Lord. He didn't have a biblical understanding of what God is really like. God is not. Standing in heaven, waiting to hit you over the head every time you're disobedient. God doesn't want us to serve him out of fear and terror. He wants you to serve him because you love him like that. No parent wants their kid coming around. Oh, mom. You duck it every time they come in your presence. You want them obeying you because you have a relationship with them that is built on unconditional love. He said, I know the kind of... No, he didn't. So he had an inaccurate understanding of what God is like. And he said, I was afraid. One of the reasons that some of us are bearing the talents that God has given us is because you're afraid to fail. You're not going to try because people may not pat you on the back. People may not recognize it. It may not, it may not work, but you better try. You better... You better try and fail rather than not try at all. Because when you don't try at all, you're burying. He ignored the master's commands. When you don't do your assignment, you are disobedient. Well, if they treat me better, if they act right, no. This is as unto the Lord. let, Let me run on. The Lord's response, I've already told you, punishment But here's another part of what God's response was. He said that, take the one talent and give it to the person who has the 10. And the one who doesn't have, in in this case, he's actually saying, the one who has the less, give give their less to someone else, which means that when God gives you more, your assignment changes. You may have had small children and raised them for 20 years, That assignment changes. The emptiness is coming. Uh, uh, There are different things that you can do other than change diapers and and clean the house. Your assignment changes. Uh, Paul was the primary uh, preacher and, and, and church planter, but when he found himself in jail, others had to carry the work on. At some point, my assignment will change. One of the things that Moses did that uh, kept the, the nation of Israel uh, uh, going forward after he died, he trained Joshua. There was a succession plan. Assignments changed. And sometimes we're looking, you say, well, I don't have the same fire and the passion for what I used to do because that's not what you're supposed to be doing now. God wants to make you ruler over many other things. The question becomes, at this season in my life, what is my new assignment? A lot of you uh, have been a part of church plants and startups and you worked and, and labored, uh, started credit unions and all kinds of stuff. And then when we start talking about a building program, I'm saying, you sure, Elder, you want to try this again? And because you've done this. And something you know ain't nothing, but anytime you talk about a church move, you're talking about hell. Hell in the hall. People are going to stop coming. People are going to get, it just gets crazy. You start giving, uh, uh, elevating people, giving titles and everything. You start seeing the church, they're just, they're just, people don't respond to that well. However, sometimes what God wants, he'll pull you back to what you've already done, and you still got to do the same work, even though you know what you're going to be facing. But other times, God just wants you to give leadership to that work. Your assignment changes. He took the one and gave it to the, the person who had the 10. Your assignment will change. Are you prepared to change with God's decision? Now, notice the punishment for the unfaithful servant. He said, take the gift from him and then cast him into everlasting darkness. I want you to know what that suggests is that even though the man had talent, the lack of fruit in his life was an indication that he never really had a personal relationship with the Lord. What I'm suggesting to you is if you're the kind of person who can comfortably not do the walk, the work that God has placed you on his plan to do, that may be an indication that you don't know Jesus. Because the Holy Spirit will convict you when there's something to do that will honor God because the Spirit wants to be obedient. So people that sit and do nothing at all, that may be an indication that you really never knew Jesus. People that know Jesus don't lose their salvation. This person actually is thrown into hell. But then there's another category of people who are in the church, who have not matured, who are carnal. He said, every man's work shall be judged according to what sort they are. Some wood, stubble, and hay. Uh, 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 some that are temporary and permanent, your works are going to be judged. There are people who are genuinely saved, but they do hardly nothing. And your works are going to be burned. But he himself shall be saved, yet by the fire there going to be people who are genuinely saved. But you have no crowns. You have no rewards. You've earned nothing in a, because of how you did not serve the Lord. And so this person here doesn't even know Jesus. That's why they can do nothing and bury the talent of the Lord. Every human being created by God has been given natural talent. We are to use them. Now, let me finish up with this. How do you maximize your potential? Somebody say, how do you maximize your potential? First of all, you need to confront the things of person that are standing in your way. Are there people in your life right now that are preventing you from becoming a star in what God has called you to do? Are there illicit relationships? Are there behaviors that you're engaged in right now that are standing between you and accomplishing the will of God for your life? Until that is addressed, you will never have contentment as a Christian. Now, if you're comfortable with that, it could be because you're not saved. Jesus said, Many shall say in that day, Lord, Lord, have I not cast out demons in your name, preaching your name? And he's gonna say, Depart from me, you workers of your, your work. Not what you said, you profess that you knew me, but your your practices. To depart from me, you workers of iniquity, I never knew you. Compromise where you can. There's some things that you can you can hang with people and you just don't agree, but it's not, it's not necessarily a deal maker. Uh, I'm a vegan, I know no, I'm I'm not a, definitely not a vegan. You know, I'm all totally carnivorous, carnivorous, <laughs> <laughs> you get, I'm a meat eater, <laughs> I'm a meat eater, carnivorous, 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 all right, moving on. Then, not only you can compromise sometimes. And and still have fellowship with people, but then there are situations where you need to just cut relationships off. In 1 Corinthians chapter uh, uh, five, verse nine through thirteen, he said, "Put some people out. Don't have dinner with them. Don't associate with them. Because they're standing in the way of what God has for you. And until they're out of the way, you will never reach the potential that God intends for you." Here's a final thing: commit to serving the Lord with excellence in all that you do. Can you honestly say that you're serving the Lord with excellence? Or are you giving the Lord your leftovers? Are you you treating the Lord the way you would want to be treated by him? One of the most uh, powerful stories in the Bible, stand with me, is in Acts chapter 8. The Lord said that you would be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the inhabited earth. The Lord said that the church would do that. That was their assignment to share the gospel. But they got so comfortable in Jerusalem that they didn't want, they didn't see the need to go to Judea, especially Samaria, because they didn't like the Samaritans. And so the Lord allowed, and this is what the Lord will do, to get us off the bench into the game. He allowed persecution. He allowed discomfort. The trouble that we find ourselves in is not always from the hand of Satan. God will take your peace away because you're not obedient. And one of the men that went to Samaria was a deacon named Stephen. And he had the gift of miracles. He was also a gifted evangelist. And while he was in Samaria, there was one of the greatest evangelistic conversions in all of the Bible. The Bible says that the city of Samaria, they got saved. And this would be a pastor's dream to be in a church that the entire city or the majority of the people living in, they're saved and, and they're growing and they're growing. The Apostle Peter and John, they come down and they lay hands on uh, 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 the Samaritans to confirm that the same Holy Spirit lives in the Samaritans that live in the Jews. So they speak in tongues. That was a confirmation that the church needed to see that there was no difference. And then in the height of that great ministry that Philip was fulfilling for God, the Bible says he was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness of Gaza. And there was one man on a chariot from Ethiopia. So God took Philip from this thriving ministry, maybe of thousands of members, to one person on the side of the road. And at that moment, when Philip obeyed the Lord, I don't know about you, I said, wait a minute, I'm pretty comfortable here at Mount Samaritan Church. I'm pretty comfortable with this mega church. But the Lord said, no, I'm leading you to this backside of the desert. My question is when did Philip become a star? When he had the big congregation or when he obeyed God to reach that Ethiopian? What Philip had no idea when he obeyed God that through that one Ethiopian eunuch he was reaching an entire continent. So I don't know who your one is or or how you're measuring your success, but each time you do what God has assigned you to do and you are operating in obedience to please him, you are a star. You are significant. And even when you don't do what you're supposed to do, you don't lose your significance because we find our completeness in him. We find our completeness in him. So I don't know if it's those children that God has assigned you to right now. I don't know if it's those, if it's that sickness that God just hasn't healed you from, that that's your assignment. Will you trust me in your valley? Will you trust me in the midnight hour? Will you trust me when the doctor says you're not going to get any better? Will you trust me when the money's tight? I always wanted to be that guy in the bottom of the ninth inning, bases loaded, team down at the bat, and have that opportunity to be the, the person who hit the, gets that hit and wins the game. But if somebody doesn't cheer me on, if somebody doesn't allow me to be on the team, if somebody doesn't give me the vision to see, you see, I don't accomplish these things on my own, but each part that we ever, each one of us has to play, when you do your part, we all, we all win. We all win. We all win. Star where God has called you. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you.